Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Cleville, and thank you for joining us for this segment of the Cleville Report. Well, we'll in this segment, we'll take a look at the world after the COVID-19 vaccine, the new normal. Now, I don't have to tell you, you've lived it, we're still living it, the world is living it. Our lives are different after COVID-19. Schools shut down, businesses shut down, countries shut down, our lives were turned upside down. But we were vigilant, we stuck through it, and due to the miracle of research and medicine, a vaccine or many vaccines were created to help combat against this in order to get us back to what is normal. But many people, including myself, believe that we will not go back to what we knew as being normal, but we'll live what's called a new normal. This new normal may be in, be a, be in existence where we're not working from the office 24-7. It may be in existence where many universities or many degree programs that normally you could not receive through online instruction, you're going to be able to do so. This new normal may be a way of life where the mask is not just for persons with compromised immune systems after treatments such as cancer and other ailments, but it may be that masks will be a part of our lives for the foreseeable future. And then also the vaccines. It may be a new normal where vaccination passports our verification of vaccination is needed or required in order to go to work, travel, or enjoy entertainment. Yes, it is a new normal. It is a lot to take in. But when I think about pandemics, when I think about how our world has changed over the course of time, this is simply one mark in the life of mankind in the way that our world will operate. Now, of course, none of us were alive during the time of the Black Plague that devastated Europe. None of us were alive. Well, maybe some, but most were not alive during the time of the flu pandemic of 1918, 1920. Many were not alive during the time period in which we saw our world transform from a subsistence style of living on farms and growing your own food to an industrial revolution where we saw machines take over. And now we're living in the technology-driven world. And we haven't seen the beginning of the fourth industrial revolution, which will be headed by AI or artificial intelligence. Our world is changing, ever-changing. And COVID-19 is a part of that change. So life after COVID-19, what will it look like? How will we operate? What will society accept and not accept? How will our lives be impacted through employment and education? How will our personal relationships be affected? These are just a few areas that we'll discuss in this segment of the Clever Report. But right now, I want us to take a look at the University of Chicago a clip where they talk about life after the vaccine 
where University of Chicago experts explore what the COVID-19 vaccine rollout has revealed about our cities, from healthcare systems, businesses, and to our educational and cultural institutions. Published on April 1st, 2021. Let's take a look. The COVID-19 vaccine has opened the door to normalcy, but what will this new normal look like? We asked you Chicago experts how the vaccine will impact our cities, from our healthcare systems and businesses to our educational and cultural institutions. So the vaccine is a complex gift. It both gives you a sense that you are protected, but it ought not give you a sense that you're free to do anything you want. The fact that you have the vaccine means that you've accepted the gift and the gift comes with some strings attached. It's a privilege to live in a city, but it's a kind of privilege that carries with it a deep responsibility, uh, a duty that's incumbent on each of us to make the city safe. The nature of this pandemic is such that your personal choice affects the public realm. So when you say, I'm not going to get a vaccine, but I want the right to continue to work, I want the right to get on an airplane, the right to go and hear the opera, what you're doing is you're imposing that choice on me and on anyone in the community who might be more vulnerable. Even if people get vaccinated, there's an issue of whether or not it's safe to go back to work. Are the other people at work that you're dealing with vaccinated, do they feel comfortable that you're vaccinated, that they'll interact with you? What vaccine passports can do is eliminate that uncertainty and give people the confidence to engage in activity as they get vaccinated. That is to say, keeping activity rising in proportion to vaccination rates. In urban areas where a lot of the economic activity hinges on people interacting with each other, and where population density really increases the risk of infection, I think immunity passports may play a more important role in encouraging people, as the vaccination campaign continues, of encouraging people to actually engage in economic activity. Civic leaders need to use their privilege to advocate for communities that are, have been marginalized and have suffered the disparities that we've seen unveiled through this COVID-19 vaccine. The public health system has to be set up in such a way that every citizen in every urban area, in every state is a part of how care gets delivered within our cities and states and not with the system of separatism and fragmentation and, and two systems of health care, health care for the poor and health care for the influent. We can't operate a public health system that way. The use of spatial data can bring great insight into public health efforts and to deployment of the vaccine in particular. We know, for instance, that low-income communities are at much greater risk, both for coming down with COVID-19 and for dying from COVID-19. If we can use the data, for instance, from the census, where we know if buildings are multi-dwelling, we know the density of a particular neighborhood, do they need to use public transit to get to work? All of that information can be brought to bear on characterizing the risk of a community and in understanding how we meet that risk in terms of our public health efforts. Education is not one size fits all. 
and we had an opportunity to think about how to support students who have a variety of, of needs, both um, academically, but also socially. And we were striving to meet those individual needs during the midst of this pandemic. I don't want us to lose sight of that once we return to the schoolhouse. The future of urban education needs to be centered on individualizing education as much as possible for our students through a variety of modalities and ensuring that we can meet students and families wherever they are. Right now in the performing arts, about 70% of our employees aren't working. As we think about our world after the vaccine, we're thinking really, really carefully about the smartest, most impactful decisions that we can make to further our missions. Arts organizations will not come back with the same speed that they had before. So I think the artistic decisions that people make will think a lot more about the impact of that work on our audiences. And I think we'll think a lot less about entertainment So, you know, from this very informative uh, clip prepared by University of Chicago experts to give us an idea of how our world would look and whatever our responsibilities in this new normal. And I agree, it is a new normal. We're not going back to life as we knew it. That's impossible because the pandemic changed all of that. COVID-19 changed all that. But if we take a look at this new normal, we can also take advantage of all of the disparities that it actually uncovered. So we can look at this as a blessing in disguise where now we're able to address issues so that individual individuals and communities that were devastated by this pandemic can now be protected and be fortified against future pandemics. So let's take a look at our civic duty. In this new normal, what is my civic duty to society? We understand when we're living on this world, we live as a world community, that we're all individuals. We all make up this world. It's a beautiful world. And all the different personalities, the different talents, uh, the different ventures, the different paths that we choose, all make it beautiful. At the same time, we also have to understand that we have to respect each other and respect each other's beliefs no matter what they may be. You may not agree with it, but you have to respect it. Even with what God gives us all, which is free will, we have the responsibility to utilize our free will in a way that it does not prevent others from enjoying basic human freedoms that we have. So what is our civic duty as we venture back out into the world after COVID-19? Is it our civic duty to become vaccinated? Is it our civic, civic duty for those who are most vulnerable, the old, the young, uh, and the sick to this or infection? Is it our duty to ensure that we don't put them in greater harm? Should we ask, are you shake, can I shake your hand or can I give you a hug? Or can I give you a kiss on the cheek if you used to engage in that type of greeting before. Should you ask, are you vaccinated? 
or are you not? Is it our civic, or should we ask someone, why are you not vaccinated? Or can I come to the party if I am vaccinated? What is our civic duty? I think it first starts, first of all, I think there's a lot of questions as it relates to that. But I think it first starts with courtesy and respect. Be courteous, be kind, be respectful, and be safe. Those were the four Bs at my son's elementary school. I still remember them today because they're just foundational for life. Whether you're a kindergarten, just starting school in this great community, or you're, you're an adult. Understanding and being respectful, being kind, being courteous, and being safe is, or is the foundation in which we all should go out into society and operate after COVID-19 in this new normal. So there's no direct answer, but all I know is if you take those four Bs and you utilize the golden rule of treating others like you want to be treated, then I believe that you will be able to not only live up to your civic duty, but excel as well. Which now brings us to vaccine passports. Now, this is a touchy issue. Because number one, as an attorney, it brings up HIPAA regulations uh, or HIPAA, possible HIPAA violations where a person's personal health is protected. Their health status is protected. It's only my business and my physicians of what my health status is in any aspect of my family and my loved ones and those I interact with. It's, your, it's only your business of your health status, of whatever it may be, flu, the cold, whatever the case may be, whatever you may have. But this is an extraordinary time, which calls for extraordinary measures. But at the same time, is there a slippery slope that we will start to go down if we do not really delve into this idea of vaccine passports? On the surface, it sounds like a great idea. But when you start to peel back the layers and look at personal freedoms and restrictions that could be cast up on you in the event that you are not vaccinated, it starts to open up a can of worms that I believe that we don't want to go down, or some believe that you don't want to go down that pathway. This is definitely an area which we will leave that will be debated from now until the end of time. But we, when we talk about passports, it's, it's interesting. When we talk about learning if someone is vaccinated, we attach vaccine to passport. Why is that? Because everyone, if you want to get into another country, you need a passport. Now, with a passport, that means that when I leave out of the United States and I travel to another country, that country knows where I'm coming from. They are free to analyze me. Uh, they're free to ask me questions. And they're free to review any other documents that I have to ensure that I'm entering their country with no ill intent and I am as safe as possible, both health-wise and physically. Likewise, when I get back to my country, my home country knows where I went and where I visited. Now, we've accepted that as being normal. We've accepted that as being okay. We've accepted that as being a part of what you need to travel. But what about learning about your vaccinations? Now, 
Let's take a look at schools. In order for our children to go to school, in order for our children to go to college, you have to show your vaccination record. You got to share that record. In order to play on certain sports, you need a physical, which will also show your vaccination records. That piece of paper, that sign goes to the office and the administrator or, or administrative assistant in that office gets it. They see it. They file it. When you go to your coach, they get the piece of paper, that certification. They have it. So eyes are on it in order to engage in that community of learning, in order to play on that team. We accept our shot record, our vaccination record, and, ex and exposing that voluntarily if we want to play on those teams or be in that school, it's being okay. But in order to show that we have this particular vaccine, even though we've taken a polio vaccine, vaccine, the measles vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine, if you're older, you've taken the shingles vaccine, we take the flu shot, we get the Tdap for kids, we get the uh, uh, shot in order to go to college to ensure that you don't attract any other type of daily diseases that eat at your uh, uh, your, your brain and, and other areas of your body. But we have an issue with vaccine passports. Again, this issue will be debated from now to the end of time. But could they help to reopen business? We'll see. I mentioned earlier in this discussion of how we can utilize this pandemic and what it uncovered as, to, well, to our advantage. And what I mean by that is African-Americans, poor communities, and other communities of color, or more specifically, Black communities, because I don't want African-American and Black communities to get lost in the translation here. It's very easy to throw in other communities and dilute the impact that African-Americans and Black communities have suffered over the years of healthcare neglect, mistreatment, and the creation of mistrust between that community and the healthcare officials. You know, we could talk about the Tuskegee experiment. We could talk about the force uh, sterilization project in the Mississippi Delta, which some famous civil rights workers, Fannie Lou Hamer was a part of. We can, we can go on and on. But African-Americans have been getting a raw deal as it relates to healthcare and experimentation upon our community. We could talk about the hell of cells, uh, where cells from this woman, were, black woman was stolen and still being used today. And because they reproduce, that was her gift, but it was taken from her. No compensation to the family. We can use all of these stories, the truth that we've known as African-Americans and that the greater American community has stopped ignoring and others have been educated about to help mar these marginalized communities become fortified, better protected against the next pandemic. This is our opportunity. The question becomes, will we use this opportunity for our benefit and for the benefit of the greater, man greater mankind, or will we squander this opportunity? Will we bury our heads back in the sand? and pretend like it doesn't happen and continue to blame the victim. You're experiencing this because you don't take care of yourself. You're experiencing this because you know, of the things that you eat. When all along, we look at food deserts. All along, 
We look at the lack of grocery stores. All along, we look at the lack of healthcare facilities in our communities. All along, we look at the, the lack of access to healthcare with the forbidding of expanding the affordable healthcare through our communities in certain states because of a misinformation about the reason why. You know, think talking about the Affordable Healthcare Act, or better known by the popular name of Obamacare, after the pandemic, it seems like a really good idea now that everyone should have access to health insurance, thereby being able to have access to healthcare. Now, I believe, I digress, but I believe that the conversation during that time should have been access to health care as opposed to access to health insurance, but I get it. Um, I'm a believer in the type of socialized medicine that exists in Europe where basic services, basic services, again, basic services should be a part of the country's DNA. Everyone should be able to go to the dentist to get uh, a, an annual cleaning. Everyone should be able to go to the eye doctor and get an annual or, or every two years to get an eye exam. Everyone should be able to go to the doctor and get an ear examination at least once a year. Everyone should be able to go to the doctor and get an annual physical. Everyone should be able to go to the doctor and if they have a tooth infection, get a tooth feel, not poor. Everyone should be able to get basic eye care glasses. Everyone should be able to get these basic services in order to help us maintain a decent level of living. But do we? Again, this is something that we could utilize, not stick our heads in the sand again, but step up to the plate. Let's not have any more summits or conferences. Let's have solutions. Because conversation without solutions are simply a conversation. But conversations coupled with solutions or a proposal for solutions equals change. And that's where we should be. When we talk about what we've learned, we have gotten so much information or data during this time of the pandemic in many facets of our society and life. How effective are companies and workers working from home? How effective are they working from home three days a week, two days a week, or whatever the case may be? How effective are schools in delivering education to children with certain learning styles? How effective or ineffective or our services in society when we're all at home. This is a huge moment in our society to leverage this information, to leverage this, this data for good. Now, again, I say for good, because what happens is when we have this information, usually it's leveraged for, prop, for, for uh, profit as opposed, as opposed to for good. One thing that the pandemic has shown us is that no matter how much money you have, this pandemic, COVID-19, killed the poor and the rich. Those that had access, those that did not. Those that had health insurance and those that did not. It killed them the same. And we don't want this to be a part and to take a part and take hold to our society. We have the opportunity to move forward and we should do so. When we talk about education, being an educator myself and being highly involved in our children's education, being partners in the education of our greatest assets with their teachers and their schools, 
their tutors, their coaches, their men- mentors. We now understand how we can better educate our children a little bit more today than we did yesterday because of the online experiment. It's funny, there were some degree programs, some professional schools, some undergraduate programs, and some schools, K-12, that said we cannot, we cannot deliver quality education through online. And it was interesting, I was saying that last year, whether you went to Harvard, Princeton, Yale, or you went to a your local state college or community college or your state four-year or private four-year institution. Everybody was in Zoom University. (laughs) You know, we were all, you know, holding meetings and holding uh, lectures and all that good stuff by Zoom, taking class meetings by Zoom. And students found, some students found it to be extremely effective. Others did not. I mean, I'm definitely one that enjoys lecture hall type uh, instruction. I grew up with that type of learning. So I've developed a learning style of how to learn, how to figure out information as I hear it, how to write it in an outline format, think about it in an outline format. But others, they learn from technology. They learn from their computers. They learn from various uh, applications or apps. And they're just as effective. Again, one not better than the other, just a different learning style. So now we take this information, this knowledge that we've gained, and we use it to create better methods and fortify the methods that are already working to help our children develop and learn better, to be better thinkers, better writers, better performers, so that they can be the better professions moving forward. That's our duty. We must, we must adhere to that. But what's all work and no play? (laughs) All work and no play definitely makes for a very long day. One great thing about our society is that, especially in the United States of America, is that we have a great mixture of cultures, great mixture of different ethnicities that bring to this country, this great country, their practices, their beliefs, their foods, the way they dance, the way they dress, their artwork, and the like. And that has added to the identity and the DNA of what America truly is. Not the American Assembly or just for one group of people, but the real, the true America. It is indeed a blueprint, a snapshot of the world, a blueprint of what the world can be and a snapshot of every culture in the world. So enjoying our going outs, our museums, our plays, our ballets, our operas, our concerts, just getting together and mingling, our art shows, whatever the case may be, we found in COVID-19 that we could do it in a way that is effective in person and also online, hybrid. When we talk about entertainment, a lot of individuals were using the online format to still offer their type of entertainment, whether it be uh, art shows, whether it be clubs, whether it be 
after hour places, whatever the case may be, they found a way to offer that type of entertainment. Artists even recorded and did this, this piece called Versus, where you have different artists compete against each other. It was phenomenal to see the creativity of our society in capturing this moment. So as we start to operate and start to discover in our society what is the new normal, we know that working is also a part of life. We ask ourselves, how will we now operate in not just business, but in our own offices? How will we shop for food? Will we continue to have everything delivered? Will the experience of going to the grocery store be one where is not welcome or seen as more of a chore as opposed to one that we used to love to do. Going to the mall. As a kid, that was the highlight of a teenager's life, hanging out at the mall. But will we do that again? Is that something that we will cherish or, learn, or, or yearn for? Only time will tell. But food delivery, grocery shopping, many businesses were started and shot up from this phenomenon. If you are an investor in the, the application of Zoom on the ground floor, you're in the clouds now and with your investment. And that's, again, the great thing about America is that we are able to see these phenomenons. We're given the opportunity in our country in order to capitalize upon it for the good of mankind. So the new normal is new. It's not the old normal. But it is exciting. There are many questions that are out there, many areas that are left uncovered. We're still debating these very important issues. Some may become litigious. Some might be a cultural moment for us. And some may be a stain upon society. But do know this. We've come through worse, and we've come out on the other side better. Know this, we will come through this. We'll come out on the other side even better. So thank you again for joining us for this segment of the Clavier Report, where we look at COVID-19 after the vaccine, the new normal. Continue to like us, follow and share. And thank you for your support. And give us your comments as well. Until next time, be well.